Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old, and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts, and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We the Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference. On the last episode of the show about science, we introduced you to Manu Leonetti. So I'm part of a project at the Biohub called Quantitative Self Sciences, where all of us are really trying to understand how the human body is built, how the human body is organized. And we are all asking this kind of question at a different level. I'm interested in zooming in at the level of one single cell and really trying to understand how one cell is organized at the level of all these molecular building blocks that make it, which are the different proteins that make the cell. On this episode, we're going to try to zoom out and look at how the human body is organized at the multicellular level, and we're going to meet three scientists who are trying to understand how a single cell can develop into something like us. The people you're going to meet there are trying to understand how different organs are made up of different cells that come together, or how an entire developing embryo is made of different organs that are moving together, things like that. But you'll be surprised to learn that the organism these scientists are researching is not us humans. It's actually a little fish that we've done an episode on before. It's our old friend the zebrafish, and this time we're going to see them in person. Hello everyone, this is your host Nate, and I'm here with the third installment of our series on the Chan Zuckerberg Biohub in San Francisco. We're here to take a look at the research scientists are doing to cure, prevent, or manage all diseases by the end of the century. So let's jump back in and meet our guests today. So could you introduce yourself? Sure, I'm Loic Royer. I'm a group leader here at the Biohub. And I lead a team that's trying to understand how embryos develop. Loic and his team work with something called the light sheet microscope, which we'll talk about later in the show. They use this specialized microscope to create images and videos of developing embryos. And we also use for that a combination of software and uh, algorithms for computer vision to be able to make sense of these images. And we use all these technologies to try to understand how do you build an organism, how you you have an embryo that develops from a single cell to a fully functional organism. I, I, I think that you have one of the coolest jobs in the world. I would agree with that. <laughs> and I have also the coolest team in the world. And you know, after meeting our next two guests, I think you'll agree that he does have the coolest team in the world. Hi, hello, my name is Merlin. Uh, I'm a senior scientist here at the Biohub. Hi, I'm Shruti. I'm a research associate. Uh, I'm a part of Loic's group in Biohub. So our group mainly works with uh, light sheet microscopy and we use zebrafish as a model organism. 
So do you know why we use zebrafish for studying uh, development? Well, uh, isn't it because their genetic makeup is very similar to humans? Yeah. So uh, actually, zebrafish, they have genes similar to yeah. humans. <laughs> and zebrafish, because they're like so tiny, they're really easy to maintain. And um, what we do is we breed a male fish and a female fish and they give us embryos. So the babies, we use the babies to study the development. And you know the good thing about the zebrafish embryos, they're transparent. So we can actually see it grow. You know, from like one cell, we can see it divide and become a proper individual fish. So the embryos we're looking at are very small and oftentimes very transparent, which makes it easy for us to study. This is Loic again, and I think you'll find that what he's about to say is absolutely fascinating. It turns out that if you look at a human embryo at five weeks, uh, it pretty much looks like a very similar to an embryo of a fish at five weeks, or well, maybe earlier than that, perhaps after a few hours actually, it's much faster in, in, in zebrafish. And so at early stages of development, all embryos of many, many species are very, very similar looking. So if I would show it to you, I don't have it here, but if I show you a, a human embryo at five weeks, you would say, oh, that looks like a fish. Yeah. And, uh, and it actually does. Um, <laughs> so we can study fish embryos and understand things that are actually relevant for human biology because we are so similar. 84% of genes in humans that are involved in disease are also found in the fish we study. So there's a lot of relevance there for human health. So the fact that we can just do this is amazing, but why is this possible? Why does nature work this way? So if you want to personalize nature in some sense, <laughs> it invented things early on how to build an organism. And yeah. it's very difficult to change that after the fact because once you have done it and once it works, you build on top of it, but you don't keep changing it too much. So, so you know, organisms tend to diverge more later during development. So, you know, a fish and a human look very different when they're adults, but when they're embryos, they're very, very similar because the beginnings of life are similar because it's essentially, it was invented once how to do it. And, you know, it's easier to just keep doing the same thing and just modifying on top the process. So we're moving into the wet lab and there's this big black tent and they're about to unzip it. But above, there's this sign. Did you see the sign? Ooh. Oh, the Zebra Fish Hotel. <laughs> The sign says, Les Petites Hôtels des Poissons. The small hotel of fish, I believe. And here, in this majestic black zip-up tent, is where all of the zebrafish live. Okay, so in front of me uh, is the zebrafish hotel, and there are a bunch of tanks, each filled with a bunch of different zebrafish. Some of them look fairly normal, but others of them are red-tinted or fairly red-looking. It's yeah. because they have so much like red fluorescence inserted in their genome that even like their pigments are becoming red. Wow. And <laughs> we also have those fish here on the bottom, right here. Oh yeah, those look pretty white or completely see-through. And it's, it's all very cool-looking. Every tank in Le Petit Hotel was home to a different type of genetically modified zebrafish. So each of these tanks, they're basically a different transgenic line and they express a different fluorescence gene. What 
first off, what is a transgenic line? So basically a transgenic line is um, if you want to enhance a particular gene or if you want to study a particular organism, you use genetic modification like CRISPR-Cas9, which is a gene modification method where you can you know, either delete a particular gene of interest or put in a gene which you want to see. For example, in case you want to study spinal cord development, you can put in GFP, which is a fluorescence which enhances the spinal cord. So your spinal cord will fluoresce under the microscope. Okay. So this will allow you to see the development of the spinal cord under the microscope. So it helps you see any organ you want, technically. So you can, let's say, put a red color signal on the heart or a green color signal in the eye and you can see this develop. So basically each of these is a transgenic line. You create a line which allows you to see these organs. Nate, you heard Manu is putting these fluorescent proteins in at the cellular level. Yeah. You can also do it at the level of a whole zebrafish. This is Sandy Schmidt. You'll remember that she's the chief scientific officer at the Biohub. So whereas Manu was lighting up individual proteins, by lighting up proteins that belong in individual organs like your brain or your heart or your kidney, you can light up the fish. So it's the same technology now applied at the whole organism level as opposed to at the single cell level. The fluorescent proteins, or genetic glow sticks, that we talked about with Manu in the last episode are called GFP, which stands for Green Fluorescent Proteins. The discovery of GFP won a Nobel Prize in 2008, and it's allowed scientists to see things that they just couldn't see before. All of a sudden, you can watch these proteins, these tissues, these animals in real time under the microscope, and you couldn't do that before you could use these fluorescent proteins. So that was yeah. a pretty good Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. So now you can see all of the different uh, things under the microscope that you wouldn't have been able to before. And you can actually see the individual cells and the proteins, and you can map them and do a bunch of different things that you wouldn't have been able to before that. Absolutely. The cell biologists before GFP only looked at dead cells, oh. right? And now we can look at living cells, and they only looked at dead embryos at different time points, right? And now you can look at a living embryo and watch the whole process. Watching the entire development process unfold under a microscope is what happens after creating those different transgenic lines of zebrafish. And this is where things start getting really exciting. So now we can go to see actually under a microscope what our fluorescent or transgenic zebrafish looks like. All right. <laughs> so we are entering in the microscopy area. Ooh, all right. So why the microscopy area is different from the other part of the wet lab is because like we need like totally darkness. So those are like room with curtain that prevents any light to enter it. I see. Okay. So right now this is uh, the sample mounting room. So we have two uh, pretty basic microscopes. They're called binocular microscopes because they have two eyepieces instead of one. This means that you can look through these microscopes with both eyes. So it's a microscope that we are using to mount the sample that then will go in the light sheet microscope. And this one is mainly for screening. Okay. And we basically, what we can see under this is those two zebrafish. You want to look at them under the binocular? Yeah, that would be nice. Can you see something? Yes, I can. Oh, yep, those are embryos. 
Alan's a feisty little guy. <laughs> How's it moving? Yeah, the one was squirming around a little. Yeah, they, they are relatively late in development. So uh, they are like post 24 hours. Yes. After fertilization, we usually study under the microscope zebra fish from around five hours post fertilization to 24 hours post fertilization. I see. But yes, those guys are pretty far along in development. They're starting to uh, move around and squirm a little. But yeah, they're still very red. They have low eyes. Uh, they, they, yeah, they look like little fish eggs. So. And and can you see like the pigments here? You know, yeah, I was mentioning yeah, about like the transgenic line that has no pigment. Because like that's that's not like the light reflecting off the mirror. That is their pigment, right? Yes, yes, yes. So basically, if we want to image through the pigment, it would be very difficult. So it's why it's very useful to have like transgenic fish that have no pigment at all. Because yeah. you can then and do imaging there. Because these ones are like bright red. Yes, very bright. Very cute too. <laughs> <laughs> So now let's have a look at the light sheet microscope. All right, sounds good. Are you going to show a microscope that doesn't look anything like a microscope? Oh, baby. All right. <laughs> we headed into the room next door where they kept the light sheet microscope. Yep, that doesn't look like a microscope. <laughs> so what we're seeing here is essentially our first Simultaneous multi-view light chain microscope. So that's the first microscope we built here in my team. This looks like somebody trying to create like a death laser in a movie or something. Pretty I don't much. Know. And, 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 and guess what? There's actually a laser in oh. the in the system right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, essentially we surround the sample with microscope objectives, which is a which are these things here that you see here. I don't know if you can. And so the microscope objectives that Loic is talking about are basically the microscope's lenses. And these lenses are positioned around the sample in a way that allows you to take 3D images of it. And we can do that every 30 seconds. So we get a 3D image of the full embryo every 30 seconds, which lets us essentially get a movie, a three-dimensional movie of the whole process of development from a almost from a single cell all the way to a fully functional organism. Loic pulled up some of these movies for us so that we can see the development in action. So here's the head, you know, the head here, yeah. and then the tail. And now what's happening is that you basically, we are segmenting the cells, which means we are identifying each nucleus. And there was a different color because you, we could essentially count them and then identify them. We're rewinding the video and now what we're doing is we're tracking all these nuclei. So you see the little tracks? Yeah. We follow yeah. because we really know where they are. In the computer, we can produce the data set that tells us all the coordinates of all these cells over time. And so we can really follow them and understand where they're going, where they're coming from. And eventually the cells divide, right? So then we also want to understand the relationship between the cells and their parents and their daughter cells. And now we're going to follow one cell. So we keep following the cell, we follow it, we follow it. We imagine it's just one cell and there's so many more cells around it. And it's very difficult to follow it because they all look the same, right? But we actually have very, very good algorithms that allow us to follow this cell very accurately. And we keep following that single cell and poof, it's split in two. Did oh. you say that? Uh, and the cells, the cells eventually divide, yeah. <laughs> as amazing as these videos are, we actually still don't know what's going on in them. It's a mystery. But it's a mystery that the people at the Chan Zuckerberg Biohub are working very hard to solve. The truth is that we don't know what really happens here. Each cell is as complex as perhaps any of the robots we have ever built as humans. They actually have little 
programs telling them what to do. They are following certain trajectories. They're talking to their neighbors, figuring out who they are, what they should be doing, how they should organize themselves. Super complex stuff. Super complex, but also super cool to watch. We have some of those videos linked in the description, and trust me, you're going to want to see them. On the next episode, we're going to be concluding this four-part series with a discussion between myself, Stephen Quake, who is the head of science at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, and Priscilla Chan, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of CZI. You're not going to want to miss it, so stay tuned for next time. There you have it, folks. The show about science is complete. Special thank you to Loic, Merlin, Shruti, and Sandy for taking me on a wonderful tour of Les Petites Hotels des Poissons. This episode wouldn't have been possible without everyone at CZI and the CZ BioHub. Extra special thanks to Patricia Condon, Pete Farley, Jeff McGregor, Dale Ramos, and Sandy Schmidt. And our theme music, as always, was written by Jeff Dan and Teresa Brooks. Okay, Dad, you can shut the recording off. Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old, and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We the Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference.